Welcome to the Pen and the Yod. Join Rabbi Michael Siegel from On Shamit Synagogue in Chicago and author Jonathan Eig as they talk about this week's Torah portion of Nitzavim, reading the future through the lens of the past and the present. So are you much of a futurist? Do you think about the future? Do you read uh, dystopian novels and, or do you watch science fiction movies? Uh, is, that, is that part of your genre of literature? Is that an interest of yours? Well, yes and no. I do think about the future a lot, but I'm not a huge fan of science fiction. Um, Certainly not novels. That's one of the areas that I tend to avoid, actually. I don't know why. It's just never been my thing. Movies are okay for the special effects, but I'm not really one of these people who obsesses about, wow, you know, Star Wars and Star Trek. The wonder if the world's really going to be like that. But I do think about the future. I think about, you know, the world we leaving behind the world we're preparing for our children, you know, what, uh, what their lives might look like. And, and of course, you know, the concerns we have for the planet right now make it almost impossible to avoid thinking about the future. I think that's true. I mean, one of the things I've learned about dystopian literature is it's, it's sort of a way of trying on the future without having to buy it. Hmm. Right. It's like, you know, it's like uh, ordering online and then sending everything back. Fiction's good for that in so many ways, right? Because we read about lives that, we, that are not quite like our own or lives we can't imagine with, you know, uh, that's why we like soap operas, why we like to, to read about all these these acts of adultery, because it's like, uh, you know, we can live vicariously through others or or crime novels, right? Mm-hmm. Um, same mm-hmm. thing, we, we live vicariously through others. So that's an interesting way to think about science fiction. We're trying on the future to see how frightening or how... Uh, exciting it might be. I've been reading a really interesting book entitled What We Owe the Future. It's by uh, William McCaskill. And he opens the book, his first chapter is entitled The Case for Long-Termism, right, to kind of think beyond the moment. And this is how he starts the book. Future people count. There could be a lot of them. We can make their lives go better. I sort of I love this as as an idea. The future isn't just what we think about. I wonder what it'll be like. I I wonder what the world will look like. You know, a uh, hundred years from now, will there still be a world? Right. We can we can have that conversation. But what he's talking about is something a little different. He's talking about, well, you and I, we have a responsibility to make the world better for those who are going to come after us. And we can have a significant impact on them. Yeah, I read an article that that guy wrote, too, and I was obsessed with it for a while. I've been thinking about it a lot. And in a way, what he's calling for is mitzvot, right? He's saying uh, you have to do good for people that you're never going to meet. And um, for, you have to do good for a world that you're not going to live in. There's a kind of a humility there that's the, that I think we, we do to some extent already. We certainly think about what we're leaving behind, you know, spiritually and intellectually and even financially for our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren that we will probably never meet. But this is taking it to another level and really thinking about what kind of world we're leaving behind for long, long term, for, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of years from now. And I, I think it's a really interesting exercise. I agree with you. And I, I would, it, first of all, I was impressed that you went right into meets votes. So I, I want to applaud that. <laughs> Every but once I in also, a while, I like to surprise you. Yeah, no, I wasn't surprised. I just, uh, I, I just want to celebrate it and hold it up. Thank you. But I Thank also you. want to, I also want to kind of come back to that word mitzvah as a commandment. That is an obligation. It's exactly what McCaskill's talking about. 
what we owe the future. That's the title of the book. In other words, it's not like, well, what could we do for the future because we're nice people and we're altruistic? No, what do we owe the future? There are people who are going to be living a generation or two after us, and they are going to, uh, their lives are going to be impacted by the way we live our lives, by the things that we teach our children, by the obligations we take on, not only for the earth, but what kind of country are we going to build and, you know, and so on and so forth. So it's a very powerful idea, I think. Yeah. And it, it gets down to, in some ways, um, day-to-day decisions that, you know, we sometimes think about. We sometimes think about the greater good and how our own individual actions affect the larger community. Certainly something like, you know, getting vaccinated is an example, but this is asking you to take it to another level to think about sacrificing, to think about acting on behalf of something that you you certainly will not have any connection to, that you certainly will not be allowed to see, and acting on faith, really, right? Taking it on right. faith that this is the right thing to do, not for yourself, but for the world. And wouldn't you know it, but it's also a very Jewish idea. I know you're shocked to hear me say that, but it <laughs> is. I have no doubt. I think we've been talking about it already in those, in Jewish terms. It's just, you know, it, it, this idea permeates everything we do in the religion, but, but I want to hear how it connects to it's the, end, it's the end of Moses's life. He's looking out at the people of Israel, and this is one of his last speeches. And it's a great beginning. He's talking to the entire household of the people of Israel. You stand this day, all of you, before the Lord your God, your tribal heads, your elders, your officials, the men of Israel, your children, your wives, even the stranger within your camp, from the woodchopper to the water drawer. They enter into the covenant of the Lord your God, which God is concluding with you this day. That's a very powerful idea. That is totally past and present. This is the covenant of Abraham. This is the covenant that was struck between God and Abraham. You are now entering into this covenant. So it's the past and the present. But then a few verses later, he then says the following. I make this covenant with its sanctions, not with you alone, but both with those who are standing here with us this day before the Lord our God and with those who are not with us this day. Now, that is who's not with us this day. Um, The people that are are not with us are us. In other words, Mm -hmm. Moses is saying, look around you. The person standing next to you is actually someone who is going to come 2,000 years from now, 3,500, 2,500 years from now, right? Right? Like, you know, you do you see us? We're right here too. How are you going to live lives that are not only going to be good for you, but how are you going to be ensuring the Jewish future? I think it's an amazing idea. No, it really is. And, and you know, what is the covenant? It, 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 it's a promise, right? It's a promise by God. As you said, it extends for the future. It extends for all time. But it's an agreement. It's an agreement between two sides. So what does the other side have to do if God's going to keep his promise for all time? Right? We are entering into a pact. It's not a one-time deal. It's not a one-time deal, but this notion of the pact goes beyond simply survival. The covenant writ large is an approach not only to the sanctification of life, right, Shabbat and holidays and things like that, but it is what we do with the world, right? If you take the Torah as a whole, how do we treat the earth? 
How do we treat the poor? What kind of ethical framework are we giving our children, right? And Moses is saying, it's not just my job as the leader. We're all in this and we're all obligated by this. And most of all, Moses is like shaking them by the togas and saying, it matters. This really matters. And that is exactly what McAllister's talking about in the world in which we live, because we're also seeing what can happen on a massive scale when we stop thinking about what we owe the future. Right. And what McCaskill's saying and what the covenant suggests is that, you know, it's not enough to think about this pact and entering into it for yourself and how it affects your life. The pact means that you are preparing for the next generation and all the generations to follow who will be in the same pact. And if you take that kind of long-term view that we are acting um, in partnership with the, with the people of the past and the future, that we're all in this together, then it, it really changes your way of thinking. At least it should or could change your way of thinking that you can't just reap the short-term benefits of the pact. You've got to really think about the long-term deal. And the reality is, is that this notion that Jews live in the past, the present, and the future really do speak to our reality. Too often, and look, I'm, I'm guilty of this as well, I sort of live in my own little bubble. You know, I walk the dog in the morning, I have my speakers in my ears, my AirPods, and I'm listening to whatever podcast I'm really interested in listening to, whether it's news from Israel. And so I'm just in my own little, you know, my own little universe. And the world in which we live technologically makes it possible for us to live our own existences separate and apart from others. And as a result, we sort of lose track of what's going on in our next door neighbor's life. And I think that's a very interesting and difficult issue. In other words, technology can help us think about what our obligations are to the future, but technology can also be used in a way that sort of seals us off from other, one another and sort of blinds us to what is actually our obligation to the present and the future. And I don't think you can be focused on the future unless you're focused on the present. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, you could argue that the technology is not really a game changer. In fact, you could argue that the technology allows us to be more empathetic because we can see as it's happening, the flooding in Pakistan right now. We can see things that we have no idea uh, or couldn't possibly appreciate how severe they were you know, before the age of the instant media. Um, but to me, the real question is uh, more basic and, and, and sort of transcends technology. And that is, how do you balance selfishness with selflessness? How do you balance the desire to have pleasure now um, and to have wealth now and to take care of your family now with the desire, with the need to think about the future and to maybe um, sacrifice some of what you would like to enjoy right now in order to give the future a better chance. That's an eternal, endless challenge. I Look, I can give you the Jewish answer because McAllister is sort of asking us to look and to make an intellectual jump. A plus B equals C. It's a compelling argument. It's compelling from a philanthropic sense, right? That how do we use our funds to support that which is going to build a better future, right? Making decisions about what we owe the future is, you know, it can affect every aspect of our life. And he's simply asking us to, to make that jump. What Judaism does that is unique and different is that it's asking us a series of questions, right? Do you really own everything that you think you own? 
right? Where do blessings ultimately come from? What is God's and what is yours? What do you owe beyond yourself? And so in the Jewish equation, there is a God who's paying attention, who watches how we are using the blessings that have been given to us and is vitally interested in how we share them. And so in a way, if you say what I have is ultimately a gift from God, therefore, it is not just the work of my hands, but it's also that which has been bestowed upon me, it sort of makes it easier to give up part of it and say, well, maybe this doesn't all belong to me. Maybe the goal isn't to see who dies with the most toys, but rather who has kind of used their resources and their gifts to make up for a better future. Yeah, I think that's a great way to think about it. And that comes back to the idea of humility, realizing that we are small uh, specks in the in the grand plan of things and that we uh, we have to do what we can with our time here, but that it's not all about us. But I, I want to I want to challenge that for a second. You know, you use, use the term like we're specks, right, in the grand scheme of things. Then where I went with that was, what does it matter? What am I really going to do? I don't really matter in the scheme of the universe. So I might as well just enjoy my life and get on with it. But Judaism takes the exact opposite understanding and says that human beings are of ultimate importance. They are the ones created in B'Tselem Elohim. And McAllister is making a similar argument by saying that human beings are going to determine how many people there will be in the future. They're going to determine the quality of their life in the future. So we actually have significant impact on, to, on the present and the future. That's a great way to think about it. I like that a lot. It allows for humility and empowerment at the same time, right? We are the only ones who can do that. Um, We have a responsibility to be partners with God into making the universe better and sustaining it. Well, that's exactly Moses' point. And it's basically saying, hey, Jonathan, hey, Michael, you're standing here too. Whoever's coming in the future, whether it's our descendants or just people in general, they're standing here too. And we're all obligated, right? We owe the present and we owe the future. That's a lot to think about. It is empowering too. I think it's um, it's something that we can feel good about. We shouldn't, uh, I mean, the, the, the future of the universe is definitely, uh, you know, seems to be perilous at the moment, but it's empowering to think that we have the power and the responsibility to do something about it ourselves. Absolutely. Thank you, Jonathan.